Hello, and welcome to the Landis Cooperative Experience podcast featuring the bull bear banter. We all know that markets often behave in a way that can't easily be explained. The bull bear banter is our best effort to digest the noise of the marketplace. So thank you for joining us. Sit back, relax, and let's talk about the markets. Hello, this is Cheyenne Dunham, and I'd like to welcome you to the October 16th episode of the Bull Bear Banter. Tom Guinan is joining me, and he's going to give us an update on this week's market. Tom? Well, Cheyenne, after trading most of the day higher, both corn and beans ended lower for the day. December corn lost one and three quarters today, closing at 402, but that is up seven for the week. March corn futures ended at 407, down a penny, but gaining almost a nickel week on week. January beans lost 11 and 3 quarters today to end at 10.50 and 1 quarter. That is down 15 and a half for the week. March soybean futures gave up 7 and 3 quarters today, putting them at 10.37 and 3 quarters, and that's down 10 and a half for the week. Please note that March futures are 13 and a half cents less than January soybean futures. That inverse continues to widen for every subsequent month this crop year before the bottom drops out for November 2021, which closed at 9.70 and a quarter today, or 80 cents less than January futures. So this week's big story is the continued resiliency of both the corn and soybean prices. Even though soybean prices closed lower today and were off for the week, futures continued to stay above $10 and have given people opportunity to sell cash beans at or above $10 at times this week. Corn prices crossed the $4 mark for December futures and have been able to close above that psychological level for the past two days. The spread between December and July corn futures narrowed quite a bit this week as well. At the end of last week, July corn was trading about 14.5 cents above December futures, and as we end this week, that spread has come in about 6 or 7 cents. Just something to keep an eye on for those unsold bushels. We're not in an inverse like we see in soybeans, but there's still little motivation to hold corn for 6 months to pick up 6 or 7 cents. One other thought, last week, both corn and soybeans ended on a pretty high note following the WASDE report last Friday. But then Monday came and December corn futures dropped $0.06, while January beans lost almost $0.30. Just keep in mind that there is a lot of volatility in this market right now, with both corn and soybeans trading at or near their most recent highs. As many grain buyers are fond of saying, if you're not selling these values, you are buying them. Just be careful that you're not risking too much by holding on to too many bushels at these levels. We'll discuss these details in more depth, as well as other items impacting prices, as we move into the bull bear factors. On the bull side for corn, export inspections last week were 24.88 million bushels, which was down about 10 million from the previous week, but that's still 5 million more than the same week last year. Cumulative exports now stand around 170 million bushels loaded versus about 99 million at this time last year. Export sales dropped again last week at 23.8 million bushels, compared to 48.3 the previous week and 79.8 million the week before that. We're going to keep it in the bull column for now, though, as total commitments of more than 1 billion bushels are significantly ahead of the 408 million at this point last year. We also saw a flash sale this week for corn to China, which was a first to them in several weeks. Perhaps we'll see a positive bounce in next week's report. So for our corn bear factors, harvested acres were estimated at 41% complete versus 32% on average as of Sunday. Iowa was said to be at 42 versus 6% this time last year and an average of 17%. Minnesota and Nebraska were both at 34%, well ahead of their five-year averages. 
while Illinois at 45% and Indiana at 34% were both behind their average pace. U.S. ethanol production increased last week to 275 million gallons, which was up about 4 million from the previous week. However, we're keeping it in the bear column for now, simply because ethanol stocks also continue to rise and are now at 840 million gallons, which is a six-week high. Gasoline demand slipped a bit last week and continues to reflect a decrease of more than 8% when comparing year-over-year. This continues to give us a reason to question the USDA's current estimates for ethanol demand. And finally, crude oil futures continue to be around $40 per barrel, trading in a fairly sideways pattern for the past month or so. Until it can break out of that pattern and get closer to $50, we're going to keep it in the bear column. On the soybean bull factors, export inspections were once again very strong last week, jumping to 79.3 million bushels. This again sets a record for weekly shipments for the new marketing year. This puts us at 334 million bushels for the first six weeks, versus about 190 at this point last year. Export sales were also very strong again last week at 96.7, beating the previous two weeks of 95.2 million each week. This marks the sixth week in a row of sales above 90 million. Total commitments to all destinations now stands just shy of 1.6 billion bushels versus about 655 million at this time last year. So even with prices at relatively high levels, we're still making export sales. The September NOPA crush report released this week showed 169 million bushels crushed. That is 9 million more than a year ago and is a new record for the month of September. Soybean planting in Brazil was estimated at 2% earlier this week, which is the same estimate as the previous week. Last year at this time, they were 10% planted, and that's also their five-year average. Farmers continue to wait for rains before they will plant soybeans there. Another positive for soybeans is the increasing price of milk. Class 3 milk is trading around $21 per hundredweight after trading around $16.50 per hundredweight in August. So this should give us good demand and further demand for soybean meal. Under our soybean bear factors, harvested acres were estimated at 61% complete nationally at the end of last week, which was up from 38% the week before and above the five-year average of 42% complete. Breaking that down for a state-by-state, Iowa jumped to 78% complete, continuing to stay well ahead of its five-year average of 35%. Minnesota is 87% done versus 49% normally. South Dakota hit 82% complete versus an average of 42. Illinois is 56% complete versus an average of 50%. And Indiana came in at 52% complete versus an average of 44%. Our managed money funds continue to be significantly long in soybean futures. Short term, this is a good thing, helping to support the market as long as they continue to defend their position and add to their length. Some estimates are as much as 250,000 contracts long, or 1.25 billion bushels. We're going to put this in the bear column simply because at some point, they will need to reverse course and start selling this position. At that point, it could easily become a negative for prices. As mentioned previously, there is an inverse in soybean futures as well as cash prices for almost every delivery period during the rest of this crop year. Just take a look at your local elevator's bids for now versus February and beyond. The market continues to send a clear message. The message is to sell those soybeans now. Monday's price action, as well as today's poor close, should give everyone a little bit of a wake-up call. On our what to watch for in upcoming events, the next USDA WASDI report is scheduled to come out on November 10th. 
And in case you missed it, there was a press release earlier this week about a new soybean processing plant scheduled to be built in northeast Iowa and expected to be operational in two years. Landis also put out a statement saying that we are finalizing investment and collaboration opportunities with regard to this project. We expect to see more details about that in the next couple of weeks, and the full statement is on our homepage of our website. And now for Tom's take. Today, I wanted to take a little time to discuss the 2020 Averaging Contract Program. To be perfectly clear, this contract did not produce the results that any of us would have liked this year for either corn or soybeans. In the case of corn, the pricing period started March 16th and ended July 10th using December futures. This produced an average futures price of $3.43.8, while December futures on July 10th closed at $3.44.75. So it was pretty close to where the average ended up. A couple of weeks later, it looked a lot better when on Friday, August 7th, December futures closed below $3.21. We were feeling pretty good about having an averaging contract that was $0.20 cents above the market. And then, Monday, August 10th hit, ravaging the state with a derecho storm that literally changed the landscape, destroying crops, bin sites, and many other buildings. Add to that an ever-widening drought in Iowa, reducing yields in a large area. Since August 7th, December futures have climbed about 80 cents. Now, I always say compare the results to October 1st. Well, even on that day, our averaging contract was about 40 cents below the market. And as for soybeans, the information is even worse. The pricing window is from April 20th to July 24th using November futures. That produced an average price for futures of $8.67.35, while November futures closed at $8.99.25 that day. So, we're already behind. But by August 7th, it's about neck and neck as November beans lost a little more than 20 cents in that two-week period. On October 1st, November beans ended the day at 10.23 and a half and have added even more since then. So, I definitely understand why people are not happy with pricing grain on the averaging contract this year. And even though we say this is a good contract for a portion of your bushels in 7 or 8 out of 10 years, I am sure that there are people that will say, I'll never do that again. I certainly hope not, but I get it. The only advice I can give anyone about this for next year is this. If you want to plan on a worldwide pandemic, a drought in Iowa, and a once-in-a-lifetime windstorm in 2021, then by all means, don't do the averaging contract next year. However, if you want something with a proven track record that performs 75-80% to 80 of the time, we're still going to encourage people to sign up again, because we like those odds. Most years, the response we hear is, I wish I would have done more. And by the way, did you know that Ted Williams' lifetime batting average was 482, which is still the record in Major League Baseball? Now, I know that's not an apples-to-apples -apples comparison, but I still like contracts that perform 75 to 80% of the time. Something to think about. Thanks for listening. That's all we have for you today. We appreciate you joining us for the Bull Bear Banter. If you'd like to contact us, you can send a tweet to at Landis Co-op or drop an email to podcast at LandisCooperative.com. Our tagline is bears make money, bulls make money, and pigs just go to market. If you have any questions regarding grain marketing decisions, please reach out to your area grain marketing advisor. We want to thank you for listening, and we'll be back with you again next week.